Coming up, what an excellent day for The History of the Devil, Part 3. Another episode of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we normally examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we are still your holy guides on this journey through, oops, all bonus episodes as we stand in solidarity with the SAG after strike. And today, folks, we are bringing you part three of the history of the devil. But okay, folks, let's now take a magical trip to the Middle Ages. And no, I'm not talking about that time in your life when all your best years are behind you and you look at the accomplishments you've made and you realize you could have traveled more. Christ, you've never been to Paris. And that novel you started has been sitting in the drawer gathering dust for the last eight years. And you don't know if you have the strength to face all those empty pages again. And all your friends are getting married and having kids and your brother just bought a house. But that's okay. That's okay. Because you, you've, you're you chasing your dream and you have a movie podcast. And sure, you're not allowed to talk about movies right now. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. You can talk about other things like history. Everybody loves history. No problem. You're doing great. Just keep your head up one day at a time, they say. Every day, every day, we're a little bit closer to death and who knows what lies beyond. <clears throat> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. We'll get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The journey, the journey is, 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 is the important thing. I mean, okay. I mean, let's take a, a magical trip to the Middle Ages. Yes, the Middle Ages full of knights and kings and fair maidens and terrible Terrible hygienic standards mm, and midlife crisis. Midlife crises in uh, the Middle Ages were like, oh, and you've never been to the town square, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that dung heap that you started, you never finished. You keep right. staring at the face, you can't go back to it. <laughs> you're 17. You're you're an old hag by now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Syphilis is right around the corner. No, um, no, Keenan. I, I recently learned about this. Do you do you know the difference between uh, high fantasy and low fantasy? Yes, uh, I guess we talk about high fantasy more because low fantasy is so kind of uh, anything you want and sort of defined against high fantasy. So like high fantasy is like, uh, I guess Tolkien, right, is the Mm -hmm, the best. mm -hmm. Like um, there's elves and little classes of people and it's like in this pretty set time of, you know, uh, some time in the past. And a lot of low fantasy is uh, the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to ask you Mm -hmm. again. Okay. And I want you to say no. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Keenan, I don't know. I can't say no <laughs> if I know it. So I was like, I w- I'm going to say I'd love to hear your your definition. Sure, sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> okay. Keenan, I I recently learned about this. Do you know the difference between high fantasy and low fantasy? I think so, but I'd love to hear your version because I've always been a little fuzzy on it. Okay, so so real quick, and this is for folks out there too. So high fantasy is like um, Lord of the Rings. It's uh, you know it's a completely fantastical world with you know with all its own rules. It's also uh, uh, morally black and white, right? It's very ah, mm-hmm. clear delineation of who is good and who is bad, right? Think of think of like the elves and the orcs, right? In Lord of the Rings, it's like there's no question about who's the good yeah, guys and who's the bad guys, right? Well, they're they're ugly. Yeah, the bad people are really That's ugly. It. That's how you know they're bad. And they live in a land of like ash and. <laughs> smoke and, and right. where nothing grows, right? It's like, mm, I wonder I wonder who the bad guys are, right? <laughs> yeah, and there's no good orc who like, oh, I, I learned the error of my ways no. by interacting with the hobbits or no. the elves. The orcs are just like inherently evil, right? They love being evil. They love being evil, yeah, right? <laughs> but yeah, so so say like, like very, very clear who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. Also, in high fantasy, nobody poops. That's right. Have you noticed? Like nobody, nobody has has anuses. Nobody poops. Mm. Nobody goes to the bathroom. Nobody does mm-hmm. any like gross things. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you got low fantasy. Low fantasy is grounded in realism. The characters are morally ambiguous. Right. You could have like a good orc in low fantasy. Right. You could mm-hmm. also have like kind of like a um, you know a, a scoundrelly uh, good guy. Right. Who who maybe mm-hmm. he didn't didn't start out as good, but he becomes uh, good later. Right. Okay, and then yeah. also poop is everywhere. (laughs) 
it covers the buildings. It covers mm-hmm. the care. It's it's just you can't get away from it, right? Ah, uh, the good old days. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You're lousy with poop. Yeah. So so low fantasy. Just think low L lousy with poop. Right. Do you know what lousy means though? While you're while we're talking about all this. Oh, actually, temp- wait, 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 wait. Hang on. No, Keenan. <laughs> So like a, a lice is what lousy. So oh. a, a louse is a singular form of lice, right? Like a mouse is a singular form of mice. Oh. And so if you're lousy with something, it is if you are being infected by lice. It's just like you just got a, a bunch of them like all over yeah. you. Right. Right. You got, got whatever you. it is. So you're li- like lice ridden with poop. Wow. Metaphorically. Yeah. I don't know which <laughs> but, is worse. But probably, uh, yeah, probably also literally. Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Middle Ages, folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, roughly from the, the 5th to the 15th century, um, where we see the mm, sort of consolidation of Christian doctrine and the spread of it throughout Europe, right? Mm. Um, we got uh, theologians like uh, St. Augustine of Hippo and Thomas Aquinas um, elaborating on uh, Christian demonology, which is now a thing. Also the expanding on uh, original sin and mm-hmm. the devil's role in tempting humanity. Um, this is where those ideas come from. But you'd think they would come from the Bible. Yeah. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but why is that like like uh the bible has to be interpreted for people who can't read the bible because that's the vast majority of people right, who can't right. read it i suppose and yeah it gets uh discussed within the upper upper echelon of uh theologians right and they have to mm-hmm. sort of figure out what this means and how to um relate it to everyday life so yes and also how can we use this to control people oh i was trying to be nice oh, okay. <laughs> I love how you're the one who's always trying to be nice <laughs> to these historical Christians. <laughs> but yeah, um, and then like visually, we we uh, start to see some amazing depictions of uh, the devil in medieval art. Um, mm-hmm. These are going to be like a huge influence on how we see the devil, and a lot of familiar traits are going to uh, be established here. Um, anytime in a movie, you know, someone finds like ooh, a magic book and they uncover the name of the demon, and the camera cuts to a picture. It's probably one of these, okay. right? It's it's never it's never the demon they say it is, right? It's 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 just a really ugly picture of the devil because like he looks <laughs> different in all of these, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except when it's Baphomet, and we're gonna get to Baphomet. Okay, so now first we got to look at Saint Augustine of Hippo, uh, which thanks to Keenan and this show, I now know just means Saint Augustine of Horse. <laughs> uh, don't don't say I never taught you anything. <laughs> all right, there we go. <laughs> this is a learning podcast, folks. <laughs> I'm sure that means something else in this context, but yes, that's fine. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to say that he was the great, 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 great grandfather of our horseman. Great. So that's how we can unite this all. Saint Augustine of Hippo. Yes. Right. But yeah. Okay. So so Saint Augustine was a theologian and a philosopher. Hey. Those are those uh, two teams that Karis and uh, Kinderman were joking about in the book, right? Because right. remember, like, uh, Karis is jogging and he has the T-shirt that says uh, philosophers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says they used to to play against the theologians, right? And Kinderman's <laughs> like, ah, theologians won, philosophers zero, am I right? <laughs> and Karis smiles and he and he shoots back, ah, philosophers zero, theologians. God damn it, I did it again! <laughs> you just never want to let those philosophers no. win, huh? <laughs> damn it, okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. So, so Saint Augustine of Hippo, mm-hmm. of course, um, he, he's playing for both sides, right? Like, uh, wait, which he, sides? Because <laughs> he is a he is a theologian and a philosopher, <laughs> right? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And he's a horse and a hippo, um, <laughs> all sides. Uh, right. But, uh, he lived from uh, 354 to 430 AD. Um, he is best known for his influential work, The City of God, mm-hmm. and his ideas on original sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm not mistaken in my research, he introduced the concept. So, so this is the original, original sin, mm-hmm. um, which I was surprised by because I thought the originator of that was God. Yeah. But no. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah. it's hard when you're, when you, when you, when you have lived in a world with original sin has existed for 1500 years to go mm-hmm. back and read the original Genesis. And you're like, you just see it there, right? You're yeah. just like, Oh, this is, this is what original sin is, but it's mm-hmm. not in there. It's not, it's not called original sin. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. This is th- folks. This is the, the early stages of that, of that thousands of years old telephone game we were talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. 
this is this is where this is where it uh, starts to pick up speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, folks. So just a, a brief rundown of original sin for you lucky individuals who who weren't <laughs> taught this, um, who weren't who weren't taught that that all humans, all of us, are sinful by our very nature. That, that, mm-hmm. that we inherited this from Adam and Eve's uh, disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Um, according to Saint Augustine, this inherited sinfulness stains all humans from birth. So from birth. We're all bad. We're mm-hmm. all sinful. We are already marked and destined for the fires of hell, and life is an uphill battle to get out of it through uh, uh, repentance and prayer, and of course, special perks you get with your membership, like mm-hmm. baptism and communion. Right, talk about <laughs> gatekeeping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the kind of thing that in the the Exorcist book where we have a lot of Damien Karras's like uh, fears about that of damnation for you know not doing the right thing or, or not helping people find their way out and. That's just in the background of basically everything he's thinking about in the mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh guys. So according to St. Augustine, this transgression is what ruptured the, the harmony, uh, the union between humans and God. And now we are considered fallen and with sin from birth. And this idea has become a cornerstone for Western Christian theology. Maybe a capstone. Maybe a capstone. Um, In any case, Augustine goes on to say that original sin is actually transmitted through the act of procreation. Um, Now, just to clarify, he didn't see sexual desire itself as inherently sinful, but as a a byproduct of original sin, a manifestation of our uh, fallen nature. So in this view, if, if I'm interpreting this correctly, before the fall, our sexual desire would be like under the control of our rational mind. So, so we could like turn it on and off like a switch. Um, but now we are at the mercy of our desires, just like all the other animals. Mm-hmm. And so, not surprisingly, Augustine was a big champion of marital chastity and proper sexual behavior, quote unquote, proper sexual behavior. <laughs> Get those quotes the- in there, those yeah. audio quotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Within the bounds of marriage. So so right. bringing order to what he saw as chaos, right? Yeah. And so I guess that means like, so all of us are uh, through procreation, just through the natural acts of being created and being born, we have original sin because it's passed on down. But right. then um, Mary uh, is uh, immaculately conceived, so she doesn't have original sin. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jesus is... Uh, further conceived from her in a special way. And so, yeah, Jesus didn't have, uh, Jesus doesn't have original sin either. Right. 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 Um, wait, did she immaculately conceive or was she? Immaculate? She was immaculately conceived. So the immaculate conception is not the conception of Jesus. It is the conception of Mary. Really? Swear to God. Well, swear to your God. <laughs> Yes. How did I never know about this? Because it's confusingly named, obviously, and then she's the one who gives birth to, uh, uh, you know, the baby Jesus. And so, yeah, but it's Mary is, is immaculately conceived, yes. Wow. <laughs> and then you have the ascension, right? So she doesn't even, like, actually die. She just, like, like goes straight up to heaven. Oh, I don't know that part. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, she's, I, I maybe, hang on, hang on. That's interesting, too. Catholic Church teaches that the Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Hmm, all right. Yeah. So she didn't die. She just, like, went straight up. She's a special, special person, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. All right. According to the Catholics, I guess the, uh, I guess the Protestants and, and all the other denominations were like, makes me mad. <laughs> um, so mad. <laughs> you stay over that part of town. We'll stay over this part of town where the Denny's is. Right. <laughs> and you get the Cracker Barrel over there. <laughs> oh, those, those, those Catholics and those Protestants just walking down those alleys, snapping the fingers. <laughs> oh, no, they're going to rumble. <laughs> When you're a priest, you're a priest. <laughs> yeah, you're a priest through and through. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing the snapping, but then they're also doing the sign of the cross, you know? <laughs> right. Just really, really fast. <laughs> but yeah, um, now, now, folks, you might be thinking um, in this deep dive about the devil, where is the devil in all of this? Yeah, where's the devil in all of this? I'm glad you asked, Keenan. Um, <laughs> so, so St. Augustine believes that the serpent in the Garden of Eden was none other than the devil. Yeah, now, it's got to be somebody, right? Right? Now, it's I really, check. really uh, conspicuous that he has this big role and then just goes away. And it just goes away, right? Yeah, let's let's clean that up. Yeah, so, so now I checked. And while he's not the first theologian to put forth this idea, he is mm-hmm. certainly the most well-known. Uh-huh. Um, so you could be forgiven for thinking that he was the first since his... Tweet 
got the most retweets, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, like, so, so how about that? Now we got that connection firmly in place, right? We were talking mm-hmm. before in, in our earlier episode, how like, like it does not say in the Bible that the serpent is the devil, right? So, but now, now St. Augustine, right, says it and you know, it's, it's getting retweeted all over the place, right? It's, it's, basi- uh-huh. it's basically canon now, right? The snake <laughs> is the devil. It was the devil right. the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Like it does, it does help. It, like, because what's what's this freaking snake's deal, man? If he's not, <laughs> if he's not the devil. The fact that, like, like let's do, okay, devil's advocate um, <laughs> against the snake I, being against the, devil. the snake being the devil. Yes, but like, okay, let's just let's just hypothetically say that right. that the snake isn't the devil. Yeah, he he shows up, he leaves, <laughs> and we never hear about him again. He was just created like the day before. <laughs> <laughs> he cuts up is like, and then these new things come on these people, right? And he's like, right. I don't, I don't like these people. <laughs> I don't like the cut of their jib. And I, I have no what? comparison, but <laughs> right, I'm gonna tear them apart for some reason. I'm gonna mm-hmm. get them mad at each other. I'm gonna take the the womanly one over here, and and like, yeah, what, what's his plan? Yeah, yeah. Because it's and, not like he's gonna become the the uh, he's not gonna get dominion over the beast of the air and the sea. No. <laughs> like what's his deal what's his game plan mm, i don't know i don't know yeah it makes it's it's much cleaner it's, it makes much more sense if if mm. it was the devil right right yeah but yeah so so augustine goes on to say that ever since wait that hold on does he wait. want the fruit himself because he can't pluck it he doesn't got thumbs no <laughs> you would bet, like like if that was the thing why does he talk to adam and eve at all right he just goes and gets a fruit <laughs> but he doesn't do it he doesn't do it. And like in in all the artistic depictions, he's mm-hmm. talking to Eve. He's in a tree. Yeah. He's not, <laughs> he's not in the. He's not. He's not on the ground. Right. Absolutely not. Because that's right. his punishment. Is that he has to you know crawl on his belly on the ground. Punishment right? for what? I. Uh, <laughs> Keenan, I didn't write the Bible. Okay. I want answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Saint Augustine has given them to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. That's. That's 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 my last interruption about the snake. But the more I think about it, I, lo- I don't like it. <laughs> well, you're not, Kenan, it may surprise you. You're not supposed to like it because it's the devil. <laughs> Much Come easier. To find, right? well, stop thinking about it if it's the devil. There we go. But yeah, so 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 Saint Augustine goes on to say that ever since that initial transgression, um, we basically all of us are fighting this uphill battle with the devil every day, as in all of mankind. Um, but also all of us personally, as as uh, he continues to tempt us and try to steer us further and further away from God. Um, and it is only through divine grace and divine intervention that we can resist him. We can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Now, it's while- not like a snake that you could just go inside and be away from the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> like if you don't want snakes anymore. You just, you just go inside, shut the door. But the devil's <laughs> the devil's trickier than that. That was that was Saint Augustine's first draft. <laughs> So just, just get your ass inside. <laughs> right. Close the door. Look under the bed before you go to sleep. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. you, you just, you just, uh, you know, go where, where, where they aren't. <laughs> but the devil's freaking everywhere. Yeah, the devil's everywhere. Right? <laughs> He's the prince of this world. Um, but no, so, 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 actually, like, yeah, I can't, I can't get past that. Like. <laughs> If the original authors didn't intend for the snake to be the devil, because they they didn't they weren't even thinking of a devil, right? Who the hell is the snake? <laughs> they don't give him a name. No, no. Is he the only one? Because like like he's you know, the only animal that talks. He's the only. He's the, yeah, he's the only animal that talks. Right. This is this is. I'm, I'm starting to see some holes in this holy book. <laughs> right. Adam has given dominion over the beast, but but not this one. But not this one. one. Yeah. Right. Did, did he so he so so adam named all the animals right <laughs> that's right he did and did he, did he turn to this one as like and you are a snake, a snake. or no a serpent i guess right yeah, just listen to that serpent that describes yes. you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyways and, and, the, and, no yeah. go ahead go ahead and, and, and you i guess you reproduce asexually because there's there's no other snake with you <laughs> <laughs> the snake is like, you're one to talk. I mean, <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I mean, no... asexual, I don't know what, what the other thing is because, you know, I haven't sinned yet. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> right, but they, they, they made woman from man, but they haven't made woo serpent from serpent yet. From woo serpent from <laughs> Hey, hey, this is this is history, not not her story. <laughs> oh yeah, this serpent's one of those people. <laughs> oh boy. Don't like this serpent. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> So as St. Augustine says, right? So we yeah, all have yeah. this original sin, and then we can't get through it alone. We need the we need the teachings and practices and support of the church. Right. Of the church, yes. right? I love how I love how it's like it's like, well, you need help from God. Mm-hmm. And the best way to get help from God is mm-hmm. from oh hey, this this organization that I'm part of, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so, a cynical uh, way to look at it, Lester. <laughs> hey, hey. Okay, but 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 we want to hear we want to hear about the other stuff right. that uh, Saint Augustine wrote about. So, while not as extensive as later theologians, Saint Augustine did also contribute a little bit to Christian demonology. Mm-hmm. Right, his most notable work regarding demonology is the City of God. Right, um, da das de civitate dei. I'm gonna try. It. That's a that's a Latin thing. I don't know Latin, guys. <laughs> You might need to to announce to the people at home when you're trying to do Latin first. Because <laughs> it's so bad. They're like, what are you saying? <laughs> you don't want to just make a running jump. You got to tell people to clear out. Right. Now, yeah. Okay. Hold <clears throat> my yeah, beer. Yeah, hold my beer, right? Hold, hold, my, hold my communal wine. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. So so it, the, the city of God, it's in, in Latin, it's de civitate dei, right? But the Perfect. day and the day... One of them has an, just a D-E, and the other one's a D-E-I. I don't know. It's one a, is it's the. a dead language. Nobody knows how it's pronounced. One is the day, and one is God day. Right. Yeah, like a deity. Like a deity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have a, have a good deity. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Again, right. So, okay. So, so, so the city of God, right? De Civitate Dei is not a comprehensive treatise on demons, but mm-hmm. it does include discussions on the nature of evil and the role of demons in the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, essentially, right, um, it, it states that demons were once angels created by God, but had fallen from grace along with Lucifer due to their rebellion against God. So, already, we're we're making some some big, big, big statements here, right? Remember, mm-hmm. before, folks, we were talking we we. We we talked about like the history of the name Lucifer, right? How it doesn't how it doesn't even uh, refer to Satan or the devil, right? It's it, you right. know the planet Venus and and this um, Babylonian king, right? Mm-hmm. And now now uh, thanks to uh, Saint Augustine, we are we are associating it with the devil. Lucifer is the devil. He is a fallen angel, and as are all the other demons, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, two demons are actively engaged in attempting to lead people away from God and into spiritual peril. Three, a strong faith and a life lived in accordance with Christian virtues are powerful defenses against demonic temptations. Mm -hmm. Four, even though demons are allowed to exert their malevolent influence, God's providence and sovereignty ultimately prevails. So God permits demonic activities as part of a divine plan that will ultimately lead to the greater good and the salvation of the faithful. That's a pretty big leap for me for where we yeah. had come from. Because the other, I mean, all of them are, are leaps forward, right? But the, mm-hmm. but so far we've been pretty much like taking from what's in the Bible and trying to square circles, you know? Mm-hmm. And like like compare compare sort of these uh, Christian mythology and compare them to the Bible and make them all the same character, right? right. Where does this come from, the idea of uh, it's sort of predetermined? Um, I think this comes from the church wanting more power. <laughs> Lester! <laughs> I, you know what? If I had to guess... <laughs> it just like this is this is this mm-hmm. is the 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 yes ending of you know people saying it was like well you're the authority if you're the, right. if you're the church you're the authority why mm-hmm. do bad things happen to good people yeah exactly right and they right. were like uh, well demons are allowed to exert their malevolent influence God's right. providence and sovereignty ultimately prevails greater good you know right yeah. That, that, that one doesn't have that, – that's missing a citation, I would say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from the Bible. Like, where does God say anything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's I there. Mean, you, know, I, you know, I don't know it was, as well as a lot of people, but maybe it's there. I'm not sure. I mean, people have covered – people have read St. Augustine and written books about him, so maybe mm-hmm. I'm just missing it. But I can see, I can see the story of Job mm-hmm. uh, being cited for this particular point, right? It's like, oh, well, you see God allowed Satan not – lowercase the Satan, uh-huh. but he allowed, he allowed Satan to do all these horrible things to Job. So that kind of like proves St. Augustine's point about like how God allows the demons to do all these horrible things 
you know, uh, uh, today. Hmm, okay. So that one time, that one time. <laughs> that means that that's what's going on in all other cases of yeah. madness. Okay. I think, that, I think, I think, okay. I think the book of Job is, is, um, a particular, uh, citation for this point, right? Okay. I will look yeah. into that more. I'm not saying I know anything about this. Mm. Nor, nor do I, folks. Again, I, like right in, like if anybody else is is like a better expert on St. Augustine of Hippo, um, please write in theexorcismminute at gmail.com. Um, firstly, tell me whether it does have anything to do with horses. Um, <laughs> we could Google that. <laughs> but I want the engagement, Keenan. I want to know people are All listening. All right, so we're making mistakes on purpose for engagement. Welcome to the world of uh, Or podcasting. are we? Oh. <laughs> But yeah, and then the last point um, uh, that he makes in, in The City of God about mm-hmm. demons, he says, both demons and the wicked will face eternal damnation, while the righteous will be rewarded with eternal life. Okay. So there you go. That sounds like revelation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I it would could guess. Be, yeah. yeah, like at least, at least that, one, that one, I understand where that's coming from a little bit more. Yeah, right. So yeah, so, so that's St. Augustine of Hippo. Mm-hmm. Then you got Thomas Aquinas, um, not, not Thomas Equinus. Um, he's, he's like St. Augustine of Hippo, but on land. Um, We're making Latin jokes now. <laughs> these, these jokes write themselves, Keenan. <laughs> Listeners are like, yeah, Lester, we know. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, Thomas, Thomas Aquinas, right? Mm-hmm. He lived from 1225 to 1274, which is 50 years? 49 years? <laughs> Yeah, so 12, 12, 24 minus 12, 25, 25 49, to 74. 49 years. Yes. Okay. There we go. We got it. Right. Okay. He so lived only 49 years. That scares me. Um, <laughs> and he's done so much more than the rest of us. He's just, oh God. <laughs> I have not added a contribution to mm-hmm. the Christian religion yet. <laughs> Well, I mean, I remember when I turned 33 and feeling like, you know, by the time Jesus was 33, <laughs> he had come back and died on the cross. He redeemed all, all the sins of the world, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. So I, I stopped. I, I gave up after that of trying mm-hmm. to compare myself to other people. It's it's looking for like like my next my next. I'm 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 looking at Methuselah now. <laughs> I'm just like I got time. I got right, time. You get time. What, what did he do though? But he just lived really long. He just lived really long. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he's famous for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So actually, the older I get, the like the the greater I am in comparison to no. <laughs> anybody can just live really long. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> anybody, it's easy. Anybody, um, but yeah, okay. So so <laughs> back to back to uh, Thomas Aquinas. So so he was a Dominican friar. Um, he was a philosopher and a theologian. Again, playing both mm-hmm. sides of this game, right? Is Karras the only philosopher who is not a theologian? <laughs> theologians one, or theologians two now. Yeah, right. Philosophers, Philosophers zero. zero, right? All, all theologians are philosophers, but not <laughs> all rectangles are <laughs> Jesuits. That's right. Yeah, got it. I got it. Um, nailed it. No. Uh, but yeah, okay. So, so Aquinas is famous for introducing Aristotelian philosophy into Christian theology. Mm. I messed up Christian because I was focusing so hard on saying Aristotelian. 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 Aristotelian philosophy. Let me say that again. But yeah, so so Aquinas was uh, famous for introducing, introducing, God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, so so Aquinas is famous for introducing Aristotelian philosophy, that is Aristotle, into uh, Christian theology. So speaking of Greek philosophers, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so Keenan, can you guess what Thomas Aquinas called this melding of Aristotelian philosophy with Christian theology. Oh, I don't know if it's not like Aristochristian or something. You would think, right? That that sounds fun, right? <laughs> or 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 Christ, or Christilian, right? Or something like that. <laughs> right? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. No, he called it Tomism. Mm-hmm. Right? That is that is T H O M I S M. Tomism. Right? Hmm. Okay, all right. But I feel like like the last name has has more of a kick to it. <laughs> Aquinasism, Aquinasism, right? Yeah, but that wasn't his. That wasn't his last name. Thomas Aquinas. People didn't have last names, right? Oh, is this one of those like he's Thomas of Aquinas, like Leonardo I of Vinci? Believe so. Right? You can't call him Da Vinci. Well, you can. I mean, everyone knows who you're talking about, right? When right, you say right. Da Vinci, but yeah. Ah, okay. Well, there we go, folks. I learned he'll, that. Today. Uh, yeah. What is he? He's Thomas of Aquino. Yes. Ah, okay. Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Well, anyway, like. <laughs> Aquinism. He, well, he wouldn't. He wouldn't want it to be named after the town he's from, and then everyone forgets who he is, right? 
Right, right. Even though he's supposed to be, you know, like humble and Christian. You know. <laughs> I'm sure he was fine. I'm sure he was very nice. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, all that to say, Keenan, mm-hmm. if you were to introduce a new way of thinking into the world, right, in a hundred years from now, kids in, in school were reading about the principles of um, Keenanism. Aha. Uh-huh. What, what would that be like? What would the core tenets of Keenanism be? Core tenets of Keenanism, like certainly like everybody chill. <laughs> like, uh, like calm down a little bit everybody um and then like let me look up what like let me get like you know that phrase to never attribute to malice what would be explained by incompetence or by stupidity or by oh, ignorance yes, or yeah. yeah yeah i like yeah. that yeah like, like try mm-hmm. not to imagine that everyone's being mean to each other on purpose uh mm-hmm. that is hanlon's razor i'm finding out yes that Jeez, actually that. like like floated past my for you page uh, the other day oh cool i yeah. i hope hanlon isn't some some white supremacist or something now that I'm <laughs> quoting. I have no idea who Hamlet is, but it's going into Keenanism. Yeah. <laughs> Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. I like that. I like that. I like that. So I guess it's mm-hmm. like it's like that and some Confucianism, but not as as rigid of Confucian. I like what I like about Confucianism is like, okay, mm-hmm. everybody, like I'm your co I'm your podcast co-host. Let's try to figure mm-hmm. out the best way to be that podcast co-host, right? Mm-hmm. I'm your son. Let's try to figure out the best way to be your son. I'm the, I'm your mentor, right? Um, but certainly more more chill than Confucius. Because <laughs> he was like, if you're not the right kind of son, you're messing it all up and you're, you know, disgracing everything and throwing it all. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Precept like one, everybody just chill. Everybody just chill. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Now what about uh Lesterism? Well, um, I'm realizing now <clears throat> in our shared Google Doc, I don't know if uh, if mm-hmm. you can see this uh, mm-hmm. right here, um, yeah. but it looks like I've uh, completely forgotten <laughs> you can, to write you anything. Just, you I just have folks, <laughs> folks in my in my in my Google Doc. Um, I just have parentheses and it's mm-hmm. and, and in the parentheses it says write about Lesterism. <laughs> so is that the precept of Lesterism? Just to yeah. write everything down. <laughs> yeah, write everything down. Don't put things off until you're recording because you're going to get caught. <laughs> All right. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, so don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. There we go. There All right. Yeah. I like that a lot. I'll just say, I'll just say I coined that. <laughs> that's very, any, any other ones uh, that's um, important to Lester? Well, also, also, I mean, I think it like in, in like religious studies classes that I've taken, mm-hmm. like one, one thing that I appreciate um, that you can, you can find in all religions is just kind of like it's 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 either a tenant or it's a or it's a um it's a saying. It's basically boils down to don't be a dick. <laughs> and I really like that, right? Like whether whether it's um you know the Abrahamic religions or whether it's these um, newer religions or even older religions than the Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's always something in there that's just like hey, like like exact like like in Kenanism, right? <laughs> it's like just chill, just be nice to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's gonna be that's gonna be like the core tenet of Lesterism is like hey, just don't be a dick. Yeah, hey. Do you know about Lesterland? Wait, what? I thought I thought you were I thought you were like you started with hey. <laughs> so I thought you were modifying my quote. Well, no. You're I'm asking gonna, me about okay, what is Do no, you know, I don't know about Lesterland? I am very afraid to ask for clarification. <laughs> what is Lesterland? All right. So um oh, this God. is from a political scientist named Larry Lessig. Okay. And he says that um he ran for president a couple of years ago. He didn't really get anywhere. It was sort of a stunt to get get his idea for electoral reform. Okay. So he says that um, the amount of people who control U.S. elections, like the actual big money donors. Uh-huh. So, you know, like like you and I might give, I've never given to any campaign, but you and I might give like 10, 50, whatever, whatever the limit is, mm-hmm. right? $250, something like that. Sure, sure. Or a couple thousand dollars is the limit. But most, mm-hmm. you know, most of us don't, that doesn't really matter when we're talking about billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the people who actually control the elections with the spending um, is some several hundred thousand people. And that's the same amount of people in America who are named Lester. So, what? so he says, so he says, like, imagine if we ceded control of democracy to every Lester out there and we would be, we would be, you know, infuriated, right? We'd be like, no, like there's not enough. Well, Lesters you might be, be infuriated. <laughs> Keenan, I'm, I, I don't think you noticed there's, there's a little flaw in your statement there regarding myself, but go on. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. We'd be like, okay, the only ones who matter in the elections are those people named Lester. And, and the mm-hmm. rest of us would be very upset about that. But we've taken for granted the idea that, well, the people who actually have the big bone donations, that's fine. Because it's, you know, that's part of our system or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm for this. Uh, 
Well, you know, wait, again, wait, wait, I, I, <laughs> I who have an in with the Lesters, I'm fine with oh, this yes. as well. Yes. Ah, yeah, right. Yeah, there you and go. And any right? of our listeners out listeners, there. Listeners, right? Who know anybody, anybody, yes. Anybody who, who, who <laughs> likes, comments, and subscribes, anybody who gives us a five-star uh, rating is right. is is uh, pre-approved <laughs> in, the, in the new kingdom, the new heaven on earth. Um run by all the Lesters. Yes, the city of Lester. Yeah, of which there are like five. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, if you're a Lester out there, like I want to know about it because like I'm I'm the only one that I know uh, apart from my father and my father before me. That's Well, it. that's quite a lot. Yeah, that's that already. Yeah, that's a lot, right? <laughs> oh, and you'll get you'll get a lot of pressure, I'm sure, to name your son Lester when you have oh, one. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm still thinking about that. Because right? <laughs> Lester is a name. How do you break that streak? I, it, <laughs> Very easily, actually. <laughs> you just have experience with the name Lester. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very easy not to want to name your child Lester. Oh, shh. Sorry, Siri just an- tried to uh, tried to answer me. Did you hear that? No. <laughs> I was like, I didn't get that. Could you try again? Yeah, Siri wants in on Lester Land. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I looked it up. I don't know when these statistics are from. Mm-hmm. But there are 105,000 people named Lester in America. In the world? In, oh, America. in America? Yeah. Um, do, do, do about 25% of that is first names and 75% of his last names. So that Yeah, I would too. say, I would think, yes, last names mostly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 99% yeah, of them are men. <laughs> first names of Lester. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, Keenan? <laughs> well, someone's naming their daughters Lester out there. Apparently. Or it could be a last name. Right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. All right. Very interesting. Well, so that's the, Lesterism, and right. I thought we were talking about the history of the devil, but uh, <laughs> we're talking about the future of Lester. The future of Lester <laughs> turns out they're the same thing. <laughs> it's all coming together. The, the, the like the Halloween costumes, everything. <laughs> right. Uh, my, my my inflated sense of of no. Okay, whatever. <clears throat> But yeah, okay. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about Tomism, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I think did we describe Lesterism? I don't even know. I think I think we it's, we don't be a dick. Skirted, yeah, don't be a dick. Give me all the power. <laughs> Give me all the power. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, comment, subscribe. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do unto others as you would do unto Lester. <laughs> yeah. Do unto Lester as you would have others do unto you. Right. There you go. Perfect. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so, okay, let's get back to Thomism, um, because I think this is an important stepping stone. Um, so one of the central aspects of Thomism is its emphasis on natural theology, the idea that human reason can, to a certain extent, understand God and divine truths uh, through the examination of the natural world. So Aquinas argued that reason and faith are not in conflict, mm-hmm. but they complement each other. Right. right. Hmm. Um, so and within this argument, Thomas Aquinas has these five ways or these five proofs for the existence of God. These arguments are philosophical demonstrations of God's existence based on observation of the world that include the cosmological, the uh, uh, teleological, and, and moral arguments. Right? Okay. This is a very, very simplified version, but here we go. Okay, so you got the cosmological argument, right? And that is everything depends on something else for its existence. So there must be a first uncaused cause or God that started everything. All right. right. I buy that. Uh, Second is the uh, teleological argument. Um, And that is the order and purpose in nature suggest that someone, i.e. God, intentionally designed everything for a specific purpose. Okay. All right. So it's kind of like, you know, like very, very complicated, uh, I guess, like, gears and, and clock springs and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then you got the moral argument, and that is the existence of objective moral values implies a moral lawgiver, God, again, who created and enforces these morals. Mm. Mm. <laughs> this seems to be a, a false premise to start here. The existence mm. of objective moral values. Yeah. It's always, it's always with, 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 uh, with these, with these philosophers slash theologians, <laughs> it's always the second to the last one that... <laughs> It's like perfect comedic timing. It was like, it was like, so like, here's the first tenant. It's like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Here's the second tenant. It's like, oh yeah, that's what it's like, here's the third tenant. I'm like, wait a minute. What do you talk? What do you yeah. talk? Right. <laughs> I guess they had not been in contact with peoples who had 
sacrificed children to their god and things like that. Right? Are we talking about Moloch or Molech? Right? <laughs> oh, they had. No, of course they had. Right. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about you know like um, the um, the New World uh, peoples, but yeah, of oh, course, yeah, yeah. They, mm-hmm. yeah. So how could there be objective moral values if the? Oh, no. Yeah. We might be we might be um, having a different interpretation mm-hmm. of moral, right? Mm-hmm. Like because then because then there's the idea like well if God created everything, God is good. Our idea of good is kind of like a human idea versus like you know yeah yeah that is a that's a logical fallacy. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so so his last one, right? Okay. I feel like the last one always gets like it's like, well, I'm here too, you know. It's no, like, you, have, you have two. You have two more actually. Oh, we have two more. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry, Never sorry. mind. All right. Okay. So so next we have the ontological argument, mm-hmm. um, and that is if we can conceive of a perfect being, God, it must exist because perfection includes existence. Okay. Let me say that again because <laughs> I don't understand. Hang on. <clears throat> If we can conceive mm-hmm. of a perfect being, parentheses God, it must exist because perfection includes existence. Okay. You sound like you get this. I'm I all right with this. that one. <laughs> so, so explain this one to me. <laughs> so, if there was not a perfect God, why could we? Why could we conceive of a perfect God? Like, like thinking the, our ability to conceive of one means that it must exist, or that it, it leads some credence to its existing. Because perfection includes existence. <laughs> now, I, 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 I would say that that's incorrect, but it makes sense in 1200 to me, is what I mean. Because, like, we obviously understand now that, that there are things that we cannot conceive of, you and I, like dark matter and dark energy, that do exist. But, I, like, you just said the words dark matter and dark energy, and I have a picture in my mind. Oh, I suppose. I guess so. So they exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one, I, this one I understand, but, I, you know, I, I don't think it's correct but i i get where they're coming from this yes i've I've reached the edge of my brain with this one i don't (laughs) i'm trying to wrap my head around this okay if we can okay if we can conceive of a perfect being parentheses god okay i'm just going to shorten it if we can conceive of god right he must exist because perfection this is the second part the perfection includes existence um well because if it is perfect yes it would exist if it didn't exist, that would be imperfect. No, if it didn't exist, it wouldn't exist. <laughs> it wouldn't be anything. Right, and therefore it would not be a very useful image of God. It would be imperfect. But, but no, it didn't... But. <laughs> is this the end? Is this... Is this, <laughs> is this the end of the show? <laughs> This is like, am, am I going to pop out of existence now? <laughs> no, you exist because you're perfect. <laughs> well, Keenan, nobody's perfect. Oh, well, there we go. That's the oh, end of the world right no. there. I have just, I've just, I've just started the heat death of the universe with that statement. What? All right, I'm, I'm going to move on from this one. <laughs> okay, good. Because it is, it is hurting my brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't. If we can conceive of a perfect... <laughs> you said you'd move on. <laughs> it's like a mosquito bite. I can't stop scratching. If we can conceive of a perfect... Be- if, we can, yeah. if we can think of God, he must exist. If we, and if God is perfect. If we can think of God and God is perfect, he must exist. Yes. Because perfection includes... That's, yes. the, that's the thing that's getting me. <laughs> what does that second part have to do with the first part? Because if he is perfect, then he exists. If he if he does not exist, he is not a perfect God. Keenan. I don't know how... We're just going to say the same thing over and over again. Have you ever had the perfect hamburger? No. So then you can say that the perfect hamburger doesn't exist. Oh, I don't know if I could say that the perfect hamburger doesn't exist. But you've never had the perfect hamburger. Uh, I can imagine what that would be, I suppose. Yes, yes, yes. Or is it saying that because we can imagine the perfect hamburger, that hamburgers exist? No, 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 no. We're saying perfect differently. We're saying perfect would be, yes, infinitely good, infinitely mm-hmm. useful, infinitely powerful. Right. Yes. Where does taste factor in? <laughs> I don't know what God tastes like. That's for some other <laughs> some other philosophical. Look. Well, I mean, Catholics have an idea of that. <laughs> it's called communion. Right. Um, a little stale. <laughs> sticks to the roof of your mouth. Yeah, because they um, open them in the morning and they leave them in the bowl. And so. Yeah. 
okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move on from that one. That <laughs> okay. one breaks my brain. Folks, All right. please write in and, and help me understand this one. Use pictures if you can. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> okay. Okay. Then, then we have his last one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it really was the penultimate one that, that, that <laughs> got us. Then we have his last one. This is the argument from contingency. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and it states everything in the universe is contingent or dependent upon something else. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. To avoid an infinite regress of causes, there must be a necessary being God that exists independently and causes all the other contingent beings. All right. That one just sounds like the first one. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, uh, this is the cosmological. Everything right. depends on something else for its existence, so there must be a first uncaused cause. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah, you got to write into Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> yeah. Thomas.Aquinas at gmail.com. <laughs> Thomas at Aquinas. <laughs> at heaven.com um <laughs> probably mm-hmm. uh but yeah okay so so yeah folks those those are those are um uh, uh that that is that it, those bleh. god lester.exe has, has stopped working <laughs> all right so we spent this, seven this, minutes on that which, yeah. which which people have been dealing with for hundreds of years so yes okay and we didn't yeah. get it in seven minutes so let's move seven on minutes, <laughs> seven minutes on heaven um okay so that, that, that was the five ways or the five proofs I don't know what it proves. It got exists. It. it got sure. Great. Well, why are we fighting then? I don't know. We're we're all done. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, anyway. Okay. Right. So in addition and, to this, wait, okay. What were you going to say? Nothing. <laughs> I'm saying you don't have to be so hard on yourself that we didn't get it after you know people take whole college classes on on Thomas Aquinas and that's true. That's true. <laughs> this, this, the, the, to the theologians and the philosophers that listen to us. Mm-hmm. Just shaking your head. It's like, God. <laughs> anyway. Okay. But now, in addition to this, Thomism also addresses the existence and nature of demons. Okay. Which I think this is, this is why we're here. Right. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. um, but, okay. So, so, however, it is integrated into the broader study of angelology, mm-hmm. which I know that's a real word, but every time I say it, <laughs> it sounds like a made-up word. I don't know why demonology sounds real and angelology doesn't. Yeah. Right. Well, angelology then, has LOL right in the middle. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That that might have something to do. Like, like, oh, so what do you study? It's like, oh, I study entomology and mm-hmm. sociology and uh, and demonology, mm-hmm. right? And angelology, <laughs> right? It just angelology. Sounds, uh, oh, God. Yeah. But yeah, but, okay. So, <laughs> Raffleology. So, yeah. Raffleology, right? Then again, Kenan, we are talking about Tomism here. <laughs> right. So, yeah. But yeah, okay. This is so... Aquinas sort of rehashes a lot of stuff uh, that that Hippo had originally said. <laughs> what? His, what? Na- his name's not Hippo. <laughs> that's, that's where he's from. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Let me just redo my notes here. <laughs> that's Mr. Hippo. Okay, great. So, Saint Hippo is Saint my father. Saint Hippo is my father. <laughs> okay, okay. Let, let, let me say that again mm-hmm. and not sound like an idiot. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be hard. Uh, okay, but Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. sort of rehashes a lot of stuff that Saint Augustine of Hippo <laughs> had already said about demons. Uh-huh. Right? So so he he reaffirms that that demons are fallen angels, mm-hmm. right? They aim to tempt us and turn us away from God, right? This is all stuff that we've heard before, right? right. They are allowed to do this as it serves God's plan. Okay. This is the thing that kind of sticks like in my craw, like uh-huh. whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we alone cannot overcome demons or the devil, but we must get help from God or the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. All that stuff, you know, uh, St. Augustine already said, mm-hmm. right? So we're, ba- we're basically beating a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was I was I was kind of hoping that we get a bigger laugh, but whatever. A bigger laugh than that? That's that's very funny. <laughs> All right. 
I'll put a rim shot in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Thomas Aquinas actually did contribute a few additions to demonology, albeit indirectly through angelology, uh, most notable of which is a hierarchy of angels. Okay, and yeah. This, yeah, and this is a hierarchy, and 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 thus a hierarchy of demons. So, oh, okay, cool. You've talked about this a little bit on the show. Yeah, yeah. So th- I, I, I didn't know that this is where this came from. Oh, right? cool, great. Yeah, so so he proposed a hierarchical, which is also a hard thing to say, uh, a hierarchical classification of angels based on their uh, proximity to God and their roles within the divine order. Um, so, so we're going to go in ascending order, starting at the bottom, okay? Okay. So first off, we got... Angel. This is this is according to to uh, Thomas Aquinas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so first off, we got uh, angels, just called angels. This is the lower, the lowest choir of angels, uh, simply referred to as angels. They are the closest to the material world. They are often seen as guardian angels who watch over individuals and provide spiritual guidance, mm-hmm. right? Then we got archangels. Um, and these are the messengers of God who deliver important revelations or announcements to humans. Uh, in some Christian traditions, specific archangels such as Gabriel and Michael are named. Mm-hmm. Right? Then we got principalities. Now, principalities oversee groups of people and nations on earth. They provide guidance and protection to human societies and nations. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess like like angels for, for a group of, of people. That's right? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that would be uh, the first triad, mm-hmm. or, or I, uh, the lowest triad, right? And then we got the middle triad, and uh, we have the powers, also known as authorities, right? Mm-hmm. These are believed to protect the world from the influence of evil spirits and maintain order and balance in the universe. They are often associated with uh, uh, warrior angels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got virtues. Virtues are tasked with maintaining the order and harmony of the natural world. They are responsible for performing miracles and ensuring the laws of the cosmos are upheld. So I imagine that's like like they're the angels who are in charge of like the seasons and the movement of the celestial bodies and things like that, you know? Oh, wow. So we're like getting into things that it feels like God is like delegating big, big parts of his goddom. Yeah, this is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't know about, I knew about like the, 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 the ranking mm-hmm. system, but I didn't know like what each of them was responsible for. Yeah. So this is very interesting, right? Um, and then we got uh, dominions uh, and dominions are associated with, um, the administration of celestial duties and responsibilities. They oversee the lower choir of angels and assist in carrying out God's divine plans. Hmm. Hmm. That reminds me a lot of, say, the burgeoning church and having more bureaucracy in it. And and so now this might be a reflection Hmm. of that. Yeah, right. Um, so that's the that's the middle triad. Um, I'm, I always forget the name. Like I know I know angels and archangels, mm-hmm. and I know like so I know the bottom two, and right. I know the top two. Right, exactly. And these others, like I, I'm always mixing them up, right? <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So then so then we get into the the top triad, um, and that starts with the thrones, and the thrones uh, form the third order of angels, um, and their main role is to transmit God's divine justice and authority to lower angels and to creation. Um, they are seen as beings of great humility and submission to God's will. Hmm. Hmm. And then we got the last two up at the top, right? We got, uh, the cherubim, right? And we've heard about them Mm -hmm. before, right? This is where we get the word cherubs, right? right? Those cute little baby angels, right? Um, (laughs) Look like Cupid, right? But they are not like that at all. Um, They are the second highest order of angels. They are known for their wisdom and their knowledge of God's mysteries. Um, In Christian iconography, they are often depicted as beings with multiple wings and complex forms, Mm -hmm. right? They would have like multiple heads, multiple wings, right? Stuff like that. Right. What they say online is the biblically accurate angels. Um, those actually are, those, those might be the, the Ophanim um, or something else. Yeah. So, so we might be wrong about that as well. (laughs) Okay. But, um, if you, if you want to Google like cherubim, um, let me see, what is it? I think we, I think we talked about this Mm -hmm. uh, before actually. Oh yeah. So they have, they have a couple of faith, like, like, um, the head of a lion, Mm -hmm. the head of an ox and the head of a human (laughs) and then multiple wings. Yeah. Having two. Okay. So often depicted uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, this is this is Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, and uh, uh, yeah, the cherub is depicted as having two pairs of wings uh, and four faces: that of a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. Mm. So these are the first ones like you you see, and you know it's like the the joke of like be not afraid, and right? Right. It's like oh my god, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but then at the top, you got the seraphim, um, and uh, they are at the top of the angelic hierarchy, according to uh, Thomas Aquinas, um, and they are the closest to God, and they they continuously 
contemplate his divine glory and love, right? They are characterized by their intense love and their burning desire for God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so so the seraphim are, are often depicted as beings of intense light and fire, right? Mm-hmm. They're described as, as having a radiant, fiery appearance with six wings that shimmer with a brilliant light, right? The flames are sometimes uh, symbolic of their passion and their fervor, um, in, in, in serving God, right? Um, they are often portrayed as the angels closest to the throne of God, right? Mm-hmm. They serve as, as messengers and caretakers uh, of God's glory are said to uh, continue to praise and worship the divine. Um, the most famous reference to seraphim is found in the biblical book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, the prophet Isaiah describes a vision in which he sees seraphim surrounding the throne of God, calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so uh, usually they have uh, they have six wings, um, one pair of wings, uh, six pairs of wings, one covering, uh, one pair covering their face, another pair covering their feet, um, but then it's been argued that, like, in these ancient writings, feet could also be referring to, like, anything, like, inappropriate. So it, could, it just could be covering their private parts. Okay. Yeah. And then the last pair of wings is, uh, is used for flying. Oh, well, glad one of them is. <laughs> yeah, right. You need, you need at least one of those, yeah. But yeah. So, yeah, basically, like, in all the interpretations that I've seen, they're just kind of, like, surrounding the throne of God and, and singing uh, uh, hymns of praise to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so so that's the nine choirs or the nine ranks of angels. Um, I actually never knew it was a Thomas Aquinas who, right. who proposed this, right? Um, so then through this, uh, because Thomas Aquinas continually like stresses that that demons aren't their own thing, right? right. They're they are bad angels. Um, we would then assume that there are evil versions of all of these uh, ranks, right? So like evil archangels, evil cherubim, evil seraphim, you know, stuff like that, right? Yeah. My question is, like, do they keep doing their thing? So, like, if, if some of them are administrators or some of them are warriors, is that just, you know, what they are when they fall? Or do they, like, is do they become their own little, you know, their own little, they follow their own path, I suppose, once they fall? That is a good question. Um, I don't think he talks about that. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I would assume, like, okay, so if you have, like, like uh, you know, uh, the, the, the order of angels that, like, oversees, like, I don't know, the seasons or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, or the movement of the celestial bodies or something like that. Right. Then an evil version of that angel would, I don't know, like mess things up. He would give you like a rainy day or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, yes. You know? <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so, so okay, but here's the thing, Keenan. This was always confusing to me because like you think archangels, right? You think like Michael and Gabriel, mm-hmm. right? Like we said, but like like Thomism seems to be suggesting that they're on the lower end. Mm-hmm. Right, like, like, but we got to remember, folks, the word archangel existed before Thomas Aquinas did his whole ranking system. Mm-hmm. Right, we see this word in in the Hebrew Bible, we see it in the Christian Bible, we see it in various apocryphal texts like the Book of Enoch, and it always is used to signify a very high ranking angel. Like Michael right. is often seen as the leader of the heavenly host, right, and even by the uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, like as it, possibly like pre-human Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the more the lower ones, like the ones that are more human, right? Those are the ones that are easier for us to conceive when we interact with them. Like, yeah, that's actually what I was thinking at mm-hmm. first. Oh, okay, um, cool. But doing a little research, I, I I'm coming to see that it, it that the that the the divisions of the angels might mm-hmm. um, mean something different. Oh, cool. But folks, by now you might also be asking, uh, what about Lucifer? Yeah, what about Lucifer? Good question. Um, <laughs> I have seen in various demon uh, wikis um, him being cast as an archangel like Michael Mm -hmm. um, and also as a seraphim, the highest rank, Um, probably because folks assume, oh, he must have been like, you know, the most powerful angel before he fell. Right. Mm -hmm. But here's okay. Here's something to chew on. Right. And and this answers uh, your uh, what what you had just said. Mm -hmm. I've seen an argument that Thomism's hierarchy doesn't group these angels according to power and strength but to function. Uh-huh. So it's not like like a general, colonel, major. Mm-hmm. It's more like army, navy, marines. Okay. And air force. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess they're all air force. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 folks, just to just to clarify, right? All of these words existed before Thomas Aquinas made them into categories, mm-hmm. right? So like we said, the word archangel is used in the Bible to denote an important high-ranking angel, right? So in the Bible, that's, you know, that's used to separate, that's, that's used to mean like an angel, but like an important angel, Okay. Right? 
And the Hebrew Bible also mentions cherubim mm-hmm. and seraphim as far back as Genesis, right? But these passages say nothing about their position in any hierarchy. In fact, they don't even refer to them as angels. It just like says, for example, in, in Genesis uh, 3.24, mm-hmm. this is the King James Version, right? So it says Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really specify that a cherubim is a type of angel. Right. And it's not exactly what Thomas Aquinas would say, where, you know, these are uh, about knowledge. Well, I guess they're protecting knowledge, maybe, actually. But yeah, I guess they're yeah, being maybe. sort of enforcery here, right? like keep out. Yeah, right. So, yeah. And then, okay, so this is Isaiah, right? This mm-hmm. is Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Hmm. Great. I'm glad, yeah, we get some description of, of these things. That's great. Yeah. But again, once again, even in Isaiah, it doesn't say, like, that these seraphim that he saw are angels, uh-huh. right? And it says nothing about like, oh, these are the these are the highest ranking angels or anything like that. Right. right? Nothing about like what their function is, you know, their their um, their class or anything like that. Right. Right. So I'm taking that to mean that Thomas Aquinas saw that passage in Isaiah, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, the, the you know that must be the closest like group of angels to God, mm-hmm. since they're like hovering around his throne, okay, and yeah. they're singing praises, right? But like, do these do these angels fight battles? Do they like are they are they stronger than an archangel, mm-hmm. or are they more are they more like um like his attendants? Right, right, yeah. Or there's so a, really a Venn diagram where archangels could be seraphim sometime, or vice versa. Yeah. There you go. Right. right. Yeah. What if? What if? Yeah. Like, what if? What if one of them? Like, what if? Okay. So so what if all of these like you know cherubim, seraphim, mm-hmm. thrones, dominions, powers, and everything like that? What if these are all like. Uh, 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 jobs, uh-huh, right? And you can and, and you can have like an arc angel seraphim, right? That would make yeah. sense to me. Mm, but okay, it's not yeah. very Aristotelian of us, is it? <laughs> so no. like, yeah, we like to have our things broken up, and there are four elements, and they are water, fire, air, and earth, and that is it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, we like to divide everything up like that. So yeah, yeah, it is neither Aristotelian mm-hmm. nor Socratic <laughs> nor Platonic. <laughs> Right, but that makes sense. If if one one thing that Aquinas is trying to do, right, is mm-hmm. to add logic and Greek Greek, Greek type thinking and Greek type of science and philosophy to it, that you'd want to put them in order, mm-hmm. even yeah. based on the scant evidence there is from the text. Right. Yeah. All right. So again, there you go, folks. Like this this whole kind of like ranking system of angels and everything mm-hmm. like that, not in the Bible. That's Thomas Aquinas doing his uh, angelology thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. And therefore, um, the Venn diagram, demonology, <laughs> and demonology, right? <laughs> Angels, therefore demons. Right. That's another one of his proofs. That's that's his sixth proof, right? <laughs> angels, we, right. we can think of a perfect God, so God exists, mm-hmm. and angels exist, so therefore demons exist. Um, so so after this, after after Thomas Aquinas right mentions them, right, you're going to get these demonology texts and this extra biblical stuff mm-hmm. concerning demons, and it'll say, oh, well, this demon was a cherubim or a seraphim, mm-hmm. right? And that tradition has lasted into like pop culture and comics. Right. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you have a demon, people are, are interested in it's like, oh, we're like, where do they fit in the angelic order? Like, what, what are their stats, basically? Right. Right. That's yeah. cool. That's fun. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so uh, folks, this is just a, a, the, the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, the more research I do, the more I find regarding the, the hierarchy of hell. Like, I know we mentioned like the seven princes of hell mm-hmm. on the show, right? We're going to get to that, right? And there's also the like, um, pseudo, mm, let me say this, pseudo-monarchia demonium, mm. right? Or the false monarchy of demons, mm-hmm. right? And then we got the Dictionnaire Infernal. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like both of those. That's great. Yeah, right? And both of those have helped in forming the Ars Goetia, mm. right? In the Lesser Key of Solomon. Hey, Solomon. <laughs> um, and all of these texts are building upon each other and creating their own unique classification and hierarchy of demons. And none of them can agree on who goes where or how many titles there are or how many people hold these titles or, you know, you got dukes, you got princes, you mm-hmm. got, you got kings, you got earls and, and marquise, marquise, marquises, <laughs> marquises, marquise, mar- uh, uh, presidents and, and, and one night. <laughs> well, really one night? <laughs> yes. One night, one night in the Ars Goetia. There's all, there's all these different, you know, uh, uh like, like, uh, um, titles. And then you got one night, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
And notice, folks, these are all earthly titles, right? So we have moved away from the nine heavenly orders or, or like the functions that Thomism has suggested, right? These are just straight up like dukes. Uh-huh, right. Right. And yeah, I'd like to get to those, right? They come they come later, like in the 16th or the 17th century. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, so now as we leave behind the um, these theological debates, right, um, we're going to next explore how these beliefs were put into action on a grand scale. Okay. We're going to bridge the gap between theology and history and see how the devil's role transcended theory and became a driving force behind the infamous crusades. Mm, yeah, got to blame somebody for that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> And it's certainly not the Crusaders <laughs> or the church. No, no, no. no, no, no. It was the devil. Um, but yeah, so that's that's all for my notes uh, for this episode, folks. Um, Keenan, is there anything we missed? No, I think we got it. All right, folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz. You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. Yeah, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join, and we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everyone who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star rating uh, on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to our show. Uh, We really appreciate it. It's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. Mm -hmm. And this will cement your place in, uh, you know, the the... The, the, the future that is Lesterism. <laughs> Lesterland. Lesterland, yeah. Oy, oy, oy. What kind of hat do you get on that uh, uh, amusement park? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, okay. And yeah, folks, we want to say thank you again for uh, sticking with us, even though we're not talking about the movie at this time. We promise we're not going anywhere. We will start up our normal movie episodes after we have won this strike. And we have episodes in the can. We're just standing in solidarity with, uh, with SAG after right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so that is it. Keenan. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. All right, folks. Until next time. The The power power of strike strike compels you. you.